Well, it's certainly um, it's a privilege to stand here today. Uh, when Pastor Ralph asked me, one of the concerns we always have is, you know, will I be okay? And I always tell him, we'll do what we got to do, don't we, Ralph? We always get by. God takes care of us. Um, I appreciate the uh, concerns of um, Corey uh, Young, Dave Hoskins, um, Jim Hartle. Uh, many of them, as throughout the week went, they said, listen, we'll step up, we'll step up. And uh, I said, you know, God will take care of things. Amen. Hadn't been here from Tuesday till yesterday morning. I pulled in the lot, and what do I see? I see a sea of blue shirt people. <laughs> and every one of those were chaplains in the chaplaincy program. And you know what God told me? Don't worry, I got it covered. <laughs> Any of them could have stepped up. Amen. And so we're so appreciative of what God does all the time. Amen. Well, question I want to ask you this morning is, how many of you felt like you got enough sleep last night? Nobody. <laughs> you, okay, Christy. She says, I did. I slept good. <laughs> we want a little bit of what you have then. <laughs> okay. Um, that's, that's usually the thing that you always hear. I'm tired, right? And, and with that kind of stuff, we always feel that... Um, just don't get enough. Well, as, as far as anything is concerned, um, only about 35% of the U.S. population gets a good night's sleep. The rest of us are in deep trouble, aren't we? Now, what causes sleep deprivation is a variety of things. I, I am a terrible person for sleeping when it's light out of any cord. Okay? And i got a street lamp right outside my window. And so uh, if I don't use a sleep mask... I don't sleep well. We've been remodeling our bedroom. I'm not really sure where my sleep mask is. <laughs> so needless to say, we have no curtains and no sleep mask. So I've been up a few times, but that's okay. I come to find out that we as West Virginians overall rank about 43rd in the nation of poor sleepers. Okay, We're, we're, we're like seven below the worst sleepers. All right? Now, if you want a good night's sleep, what you need to do is you need to move to one of the following states. South Dakotans get the best sleep. I don't know. Is it something in the water? I don't know. But it's according to the statistics, they get the best. Colorado, Minnesota, Nebraska, Utah, Kansas, Idaho, Montana, all fare better in sleep than the rest of us. What the worst place to sleep is? Haley, you ain't getting no sleep. Ain't going to be because of college. Hawaii ranks number one in the worst sleepers. All right? So pray for, uh, pray for uh, Haley as she goes off to school in Hawaii. She's got to get some sleep because we've got to keep those good grades up. Amen? Well, if anything, that reminds us of our human uh, frailty. We are frail. And while God never slumbers, you and I often come face to face with just plain being wore out sometimes, don't we? And when that happens, what we tend to think is when we do something, it becomes more what? Burdensome, doesn't it? I mean, even the littlest of tasks can seem more burdensome, right? I know when I don't sleep well, I get up. Just taking the stupid jar off the jelly is hard. You? Come on, be honest with me. But anyway, nevertheless, maybe we think that, hey... We just run a little low on our tanks. Well, we all feel that way. 
But there are some things that we need to recognize, and I think that as I share today, I hope that I can impress upon both you and myself, because I want to practice what I preach, is that there are some things that we need to notice in our lives that suffer when we look at church as being burdensome. And one of the first things is, is we fail to submit to the plans of God. What we often become is more exhausted and we try to skirt around what God would have us to do. We come up with the old what? Excuses. Well, you know, when people come up and offer me excuses, I tell them, I don't listen to excuses. It's not because I don't care. It just doesn't change anything. An excuse does not change anything. Well, I wasn't able to be at, well, okay, I understand. Let's not believe it. Let's just move on to the next thing. But you don't understand. I No, it, you weren't here. You didn't do this. I didn't do something. An excuse does not change anything, does it? It only creates what? More burden on the situation. And so we often do that with God. We give Him a lot of excuses. We try to come up with our own plan and initiate it and hope that God will accept it. Discouragement and self-pity tend to surface within us when events don't pan out the way that we think they should. And that often comes as a result with excuse. We don't give to God's plans. There's this little boy, and he loved to play marbles. And he always carried a pocket full of marbles. And he had one special marble. You know what those are called? Those are called the shooters. And so he always had his hand in his pocket feeling that shooter. Well, one day as he was walking, he seen this little gal. And she had a pocket full of chocolate. And he liked chocolate almost as much as he liked marbles. And so he told her, he says, hey, he says, uh, I'll trade you my marbles, all of my marbles, for your chocolate. He says, okay. Well, he reaches down his pocket and he feels that shooter. He pushes it deep in his pocket. And he hands her all the marbles. And she hands him the chocolates. As he starts to walk away, he stops and he thinks, Hey, did you give me all the chocolate? Think about that for a second. Think about that. Because he kept his shooter deep in his pocket. And it caused him to wonder, Hey, what aren't you giving me? You see, that's what happens when we skirt around God's plan. We don't submit to God's plan. We begin to think, hey, what's God not giving me? I got an idea of what I want, but is God really giving me what I want? God says, no, I'll give you always what you need. Our fallen nature often persuades us to put ourselves into some defiant, deceptive mode with God that does not allow him to fully work in our lives. So how do we remedy that? Well, Micah 6, 8 says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Do to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Willing submission to God's plan, even when it looks different from our own, actually produces the fruit of patience and peace within us. You see, we have to be still and do what? Wait upon the Lord. As a result, our service increasingly becomes that sweet aroma of Jesus Christ in our life. And as we give to him, we find out that what was once dead works become living works for Jesus. The next thing is this. 
I don't have my PowerPoint running. I, I don't have a clicker, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, when you don't allow the Holy Spirit to fill you with love for people. Uh, in an article, Love People, Not Pleasure, uh, from the New York Times, the writer surmised that basically what people look at is they say, I'm an unhappy person because I don't have something. In other words, they say in my outside circumstances, as I, as I look at myself, I'm unhappy because of this thing that has happened in my life. And therefore, I didn't get, again, what I think I should have or what I want. And so what we recognize is, is what we come to, to grips with is, is sometimes happiness is not always what we expect. How many of you are familiar with the Beatitudes? It's in the Bible. Jesus is going to ask you one of these days, hey, did you take time and read Matthew 5, you know, my bestseller, the Bible? Okay, he's going to ask you that most likely. Well, in that, it says, blessed are they. That's what the King James says, blessed are they. Basically means happy are they. I like to be happy, don't you? Sure, I like to be happy. And as I start reading some of those, it says happy is this, happy is that, happy, happy. And then all of a sudden, you get near the end, and it says, happy are those who are what? Persecuted for my namesake. Ooh, I don't know if I like that one. I like to pick and choose these. Happy are those who are persecuted for my namesake. And what that says is, is as we become more like Christ, as we live more like Christ would have us to live, the world's not going to be happy with us. The world's going to be upset with us. The world is not going to give us what we think it should. And instead, it is going to try to rob us of our joy. One of the problems that we often have as Christians, we say that we love God, but as it says in 1 John, it says, how can you say that you love God and not love people? How can you say that you love God in whom you have not seen and not love one another. And when you read that word love, it is a word in the Greek that's very particular to really the only fulfillment of a Christian. Because it's unconditional. It's agape. It puts no limitations on it. It doesn't say, I will love you if. It says, I will love you no matter what. And we often say that, yeah, God, I love you, I love you. But then we begin to put parameters and we put restrictions on how we'll love people. And God says, that, that can't happen. You'll rob yourself. Church will become burdensome. Being a follower of Jesus will become burdensome when we fail to love one another. It's said of the Apostle John when he uh, was quite old, they would carry him into the church and he would preach. Now, some of you would hire him in a heartbeat, I would think, because when he came in, he didn't preach long. He preached short, but he preached pointedly. And it was said that his message was simply this, little children, love ye one another. And that's key. You talk to almost any person who is of Islamic faith, 
and has become a Christian, they will tell you the thing that mattered most, the thing that impressed them most, the thing that inspired them the most to come to know Jesus Christ was what was said of the early church. See how they love one another. That's so important. Too often we throw the word love around with such ease. But we need to recognize that yes, there may be some unloving people, unlovable people in our hearts and minds. When Jesus died, when he said, for God so loved the world, he met each and every one of them. I am reminded of a comic I saw in a Christian publication one time. I think it was Christianity Today. They had little comics. And yes, there are some Christian comic strip writers out there, okay? And so uh, I like that. In fact, uh, I will say some of the best theology I have derived over my time has come from the comics, okay? And so I'm inspired by those who draw comics. But anyway, the pastor is at the pulpit, and he is preaching on love, and he says, and Jesus loves you. But you look off to the side, there is a gentleman sitting there with a scrowl on his face, with his arms crossed, and he's looking, and the pastor looks over to him and says, and Brother Smith is working on it. All right? No, we need not work on it. Years ago, we had the WWJD. What would Jesus do? Right? Maybe you had one of those bracelets. Folks, if you've been a Christian for any time at all, and if you've been a member of a Bible-preaching, Bible-centered church, you don't need to be told what would Jesus do. You should know what Jesus did and do it. Amen? And the thing that he did was what? He loved. He loved. And we need to do that very same thing. Another thing that suffers when we begin to allow church to become burdensome in our life is that we no longer see giving as an offering of worship, even if it's meager. In other words, what we look at is we we give out of duty, we give out of obligation. Now, when we talk about giving... The first thing that comes to mind is, oh, the preacher's going to talk about what? Money. And yeah, we will. And you know why? Because we need to give you the same protection the Word of God says. And the Word of God says is that the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? If we want to help eradicate evil, then we have to watch out what people love. And if the world is loving money i.e. greed, success, or whatever, we got to preach the dangers of loving it. Amen? We want to safeguard. But when we talk about giving in this church, and, I'm, and I tell like-minded churches, we talk about three T's. We talk about the tithe of treasure, yes. But we also talk about the tithe of time, and the time of talent. And we are to afford God those things. And when, when church becomes burdensome for us, we begin to withhold from God and we see none of our giving as actually 
of offering, of worship to God. Now, we have on every Sunday morning, when we come here, we have a thing that says morning worship service. Amen? You've seen that, right? Okay. Sadly, here's the problem. What's worship? Oh, it's singing. It's listening to preach, preach, do this, do that. No, worship is to seek and to search out adoration in all in something or someone. And when we come into this sanctuary on Sunday morning, worship needs to be and ought to be and is at this church an audience of one. Seeking the awe and wonder of our God and Creator. Amen? And when we are able to do that, we will never see church as burdensome. We're all familiar when it comes to giving about the widow's might. Now, have you ever realized how much that was? That amounted to about six minutes of wage. Now, if you make 20 bucks an hour, okay, I'm being maybe generous or I'm maybe robbing some of you, but we'll take it as a mean average. Work with me. That average is out that you gave a buck ninety-eight. Don't check my math. There's a good chance it's wrong. <laughs> Don't embarrass me when I got the home. <laughs> Amen. I'll do that myself in a few moments. But the fact of the matter is, a buck ninety-eight doesn't seem like much. But we know, both from Scripture. And from the experience in our own lives, those who live victorious Christian lives know that little in the hands of God becomes much. Amen? Amen. Come on, church. It's exciting stuff. I stayed up the last couple nights working on it. All right? Let God work. But the fact of the matter is, when we begin to see, oh, I've got to go to church or I've got to do this, we rob ourselves of worship and our giving. And God is always worthy of awe and wonder. He died too young, Rich Mullins. But a song that is so near and dear to my heart is Awesome God. Awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. And He never, never ceases to amaze me. I've always told people, I said, sometimes I get into situations and I get into problems, and what happens is I come close maybe to losing my religion, but I never want to lose my relation. Amen? I don't want to do things out of mere duty and obligation. I want to serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, because He is worthy of that service. And I'll never see what He asked me to do as a burden. I'll see it as a joy. The Bible says that when we put our hands out for God, we do it with joy, whatever it is that He asks. Folks, there's no menial task in heaven. I'd rather be the guy who has a sack over my shoulder and one of those sticks that's got a pick at the end and picking up if there's litter in heaven 
okay, than driving a limo in hell. Right? Huh? Amen. And so we need to recognize that when we allow burdensome worship or burdensome church, we tend to lose our focus on any offering, whether it's time, talent, or treasure, becomes a burden. And then we almost begin to trust our own ability and not the ability of God. This is the fourth thing. We begin to put limitations on ourselves because we start thinking, what can I do? Our question should never be, what can I do, but what can I not do when i got the power of the Holy Spirit? No, I've always said, one of my life's verses, it's many of yours, I'm sure, Philippians 4.13, I can do what? All things. Someone said one time, says, Ron, do you really believe that? And I said, I believe it. He said, you think you could be a brain surgeon? I said, if God called me to it, I'll do it. But you better pray he doesn't. <laughs> All right? Okay? Because he made me a promise that he would do what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I believe that. I believe that and I've lived my life like that. I know and I'm learning my limitations. And uh, I have two gentlemen in my congregation today that have clearly told me, don't. And so um, I'm still trusting Jesus if I have to. Uh, I'll do my own electrical work. But Bob and Corey said, when you say you can do it, don't. <laughs> I'm telling them, hey, guys, we've got to trust Jesus on this, right? <laughs> right? But the fact of the matter is, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Because he never calls us on our uh, ability, but rather, again, on our own, uh, on his ability. I'm fascinated by sailboats. I'm fearful of water, but I love sail- watching sailboats. And the magnificent thing about a sailboat is, is that a sailboat's design is to be submissive. Submissive to the wind. Because if, if it's not, it's going to get destroyed. It might run aground. It might, it might, there's all kinds of things that can happen. But with the right hand at the helm and the right hand on the ropes and the right hand that is guiding and using that wind, that sailboat can cross oceans, can't it? In that same way, when we submit to the will of God, we may not always know where He's going to take us. And we may not always know why He's going to take us there. But what we do know is He calls us to enjoy the journey because we're going to get there. And I believe that with all my heart. When uh, um, Moses was standing before God at the burning bush, God told him, he says, look down and see what's in your hands. And what did he have? He had a rod. And he thought to himself, what am I going to do with this rod? And God said, cast it down. Well, we know the rest of that story, don't we? And throughout the period of time, the wilderness wandering, that rod became a mighty instrument, not used by Moses, but by God. When it was misused by Moses, bad things happened. And then one of the things that also suffers is that spiritual renewal is almost non-existent. You know why there's a lot of unhappy Christians or the appearance of unhappy Christians? It's because they don't seek out spiritual renewal. 
Well, I can't go to that conference. I can't go to that retreat. I can't go. I can't go. Where's it written in the Bible? You have to go to a spiritual conference. They're good. They're needed at times. But you know what God has provided us every week? He's provided us the church for a place of spiritual renewal. That's why in Hebrews it says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But do what? Encourage one another so much the more as you see what? The day approaching. Now, again, I'm not great at math, but that was written a little better than 2,000 years, roughly 2,000 years ago. And if he thought it was pretty close then, math tells me it's a little closer now. And if he said to watch as the day approached and encourage as the day approached, I need to be doing what? I need to be watching and I need to be encouraging today because he can come at any time. Amen? And I'm trusting in that. And then... We recognize, so how does that happen? It says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's the best way to do that, is take advantage of coming to church. We have a Sunday morning habit in my family. When we get in the car, as we turn left, we head down the street, and then we get down, take a left at Cedar, and we get down to third, we take a right. And we end up just approximately in front of the post office. Now, this is a ritual we do every Sunday. Okay? And the purpose for this is we get a newspaper. That's what we do. Got mad at my newspaper guy because he kept throwing it at my door. So I said, okay, no more. We'll buy our newspaper. So we go down, we buy a newspaper. I'm driving the other day to church, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. And so he goes, uh, you going to turn right? And I said, oh, yeah, I was thinking of something. And I told her, I said, what I was thinking was, we're going to church. We're going to church. In other words, we don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to come into the house of God, wherever it may be. It's a privilege to come and congregate with God's people. It's a privilege to come and enjoy the fellowship of one another, to encourage one another, because you know what? This week, I guarantee you, one of you is going to step in some muck. And I don't mean by cleaning houses. There's going to be something that happens in your life that's going to cause some distress. There's going to happen something happen in your life that's going to cost you some aggravation. There's going to be something that happens that's going to knock your world off its axis. And you go through it. And the question is, How? You've got to be renewed, renewed. And this is the place to do it right now. Because it's going to happen. And so when we come here, this is our place of spiritual renewal. This is our place to encourage one another. This is our place to come together. And so that when we come here and get our marching orders and go out there, we know that we can be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. Amen? That's who we are. Now, the Bible recognizes the people sometimes get weary. They get weary when they do not see the observable obstacles of their work. They get weary when they see people around them who are hindering the work. They see them criticizing. They see them hindering. They see them trying to make the task of Jesus Christ harder. I want to tell you something. There are times, there are times 
people try to make my job harder. Now, I'm not saying you. Some of you may. You may be sitting there going, hey, you kind of make Ron's job harder. I'm trying to make you smile and I'm trying to make you laugh. And you're going, can't do it to me. I'm going to work on it. The one I am saying, though, there are some people out in our world who are intent on making the job of the gospel harder instead of easier. But you know what I always tell them? No matter how hard the job, I still got to do my job. I still have to do my job. You see, I only know one job. And that's the propagation of the gospel. That's it. When operate, or when, I keep calling Operation Christmas Town because we're so we're used to working with them. But Samaritans first came in. Lorenzo met with uh, Ed Goodman, who's working at the Upper Valley Association. And there was some worry about duplication. And one of the things both Lorenzo said and Tim said, in our work, there's no such thing as duplication. There's no such thing as duplication. If we both go to the same house, if we go to the same communities, and we do the same things, then the only thing that happens is the gospel is presented again and again and again. Huh? Isn't that exciting? How many times have you done something and thought, oh, I, you know, I, no, I don't, want, I don't want to replicate something. I don't want to do something. Folks, when it comes to the gospel, the world can't get enough of it. It needs to hear it over and over and over and over again. And yes, it's discouraging because the world does not want to hear about Jesus, but he's the hope. And no matter how hard the job is, we got to keep doing it. Well, we combat weariness by keeping our... Focus on our reward. We keep our focus not on the criticism of others. We keep our focus on the example of Jesus Christ. And in all these things, church will never become burdensome. You'll pop out of bed and you'll want to be here as often as you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the love of Jesus. And for the sacrifice he made for this church. And when I say this church, I don't mean this one just alone. On the corner of 4th and Annadale in Moundsville, West Virginia. But I'm talking about that church universal. That he died. And gave himself to it. That afforded to us the opportunity to live for him. And continue to be that message of hope. And so, Father, when we begin to be weary, which our bodies do get tired, our minds get tired, our hearts get tired, our feelings get hurt, may we always recognize, Father, that the one who loved us most endured the greatest criticism, endured the greatest heartache, endured the greatest suffering so that we might have hope so that we might be one day eternally in the heavens serving him we pray these things in Christ's name Amen